Open your Bibles, please, to Jeremiah chapter 6. Now, as I told you, I'm, not tr- I'm trying hard not to give specific application details to this. And the, that's, it's very intentional. It's not just a matter of time. I think a lot of times what teachers in my position do is they start to give these very specific applications that only apply to a certain number of people. But I really think what we're supposed to do is, as a church community, we're supposed to talk about these things and together come to conclusions about what is wise and what's good for our particular family and our particular church. And this this might relate to the education of children, it might relate to uh, smart, the use of smartphones and introduction of smartphones to your children. Uh, <laughs> I mentioned retirement. Uh, there's no answers to this, and one of the reasons we're going through the book of Proverbs as a church is so that we learn to think according to the way the Bible thinks in our own culture, because these truths about wisdom apply everywhere at all times. Uh, And what you need, what the church needs, are teachers who can help us understand what it meant in that time so that we can begin to understand what it means for our time. Now, as I began this series, I mentioned Francis Schaeffer's book, How Should We Then Live? And that the book worked for me as both a call to repentance and began in me to create a desire to think about, well, how do you live? How do you not just survive, but live as exiles? The book is a call to recognize the idols of our day and repent of our allegiance to them and to turn from all the injustice that flows from our idolatry, even if it's injustice that just exists within our own home, our own small relationships. And what we looked at is that repentance opens, it, repentance moves you through the doorway that opens to life. Faith in God's promises for the present and hope for his final restoration of all things creates the kind of heart where you can live in this idolatrous world today. Once you've recognized the idols around you and turned from them and all the sins that they legitimize, you must ask the question, okay, now how do we live? How do we conduct our lives today? What does life animated by the Spirit of God look like in eating and dressing and finding shelter and working and earning and spending and making use of what God's created and celebrating and resting? So these are all the kind of topics that I I think the Lord wants us to to begin to think, I'm not just going to go with the flow Uh, whether it's the world's flow or just the church's flow, but I'm going to search these things out in wisdom for finding out how to live. So I already mentioned that there is a danger in in trying to uh, mandate practices. So I, I don't want to create a list of do's and don'ts. Don't watch TV, do eat organic food. You know, that's kind of where it can devolve to. Don't spend, don't send your kids to public school, homeschool. I think if you just ran by that rule, 
you would make great mistakes. Making commands the Bible does not make does not lead to life. We need this deeper wisdom. And so I want to cover three ways of seeking out, pointing towards seeking out this deeper wisdom and uh, get the conversation going. So, Jeremiah chapter 6, the Lord has direction. Remember I mentioned that Jeremiah was alive during the Babylonian siege of Jerusalem. He'd been prophesying for 30 years at that time. Like Ezekiel, most people didn't listen to him. And uh, there is this, uh, this desire, if all the things you're saying, Jeremiah, about this coming judgment and the call to repentance, how should we live? He gives some direction for the people who are so confused living in the age they're in. So in Jeremiah 6, verse 16, thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls but they said we will not walk in it the Israelites were so consumed by their idols that they had forgotten how to walk out their lives they'd forgotten how to Live. The ancient paths were overgrown in weeds and forgotten. And so Jeremiah says, you need to stop and look. Look at all these roads before you. What are you to walk in? And he says, look for the ancient paths, not the contemporary paths, not the new and exciting paths, not the paths of progress. Look for the old way. Our nation was built on a base of a Christian worldview. Such a base made the American form of democracy possible. But we have forgotten God, and therefore we have forgotten how to live. We've forgotten how to live together as a nation. We've forgotten how to live in our cities and our communities. We've forgotten these things. We have forgotten God. We have forgotten how to be a man and how to be a woman. I mean, it's, 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 a little, it's a little crazy that we need to have that conversation. And I'm not just talking about the extreme applications of that. I'm talking about what that looks like within a home. What that looks like at work. We have forgotten the meaning of family. And how a household should dwell in harmony and fruitfulness in one place together. We've forgotten what it means to be educated. And what is the purpose of work? And I might add, we've forgotten how to eat. We've forgotten how to sleep. We've forgotten how to celebrate. Even our weddings and funerals can take on some of the characteristics of the idolatries that surround us. So we need to stand by the way and look for the old paths. The last thing I had down here I didn't mention, we've forgotten what it means to be a church. And how to worship. One of the things I've so appreciated about Grace Church and coming here two years ago is how Larry and Devin sought to shape it around the most basics of Christianity, beginning with centering our community life on the worship of God on Sunday. 
That's looking at the old paths and saying, okay, this, this is a path we, we're going to walk on because it's old and it's scripture. So we've got to join together because all of this is a group project. Okay, I really mean that. I think it's a group project. We need, I, I think our own lifestyle choices, with, even within our families, should be a part of a conversation with a wider group of our friends. We've got to search for the old paths. The exiles asked Ezekiel, how then can we live? And Ezekiel and Jeremiah said, we can't just follow the patterns of the idolaters. We've got to learn the old paths. If you follow the old paths, they lead you on in hope. They lead to the celestial city that Eliana drew a picture of, the city where Jesus is. So we can walk in them even if our progress is contested. So scripture marks out the paths. We need to seek out the paths. And when we find them, we need to walk in them. As we've repeatedly said related to the book of Proverbs, it's not enough just to read the proverb or to know it's there. To know the proverb, you got to walk the proverb. That's basic biblical wisdom. So number one is we need to look for the old paths. Number two, we need to build households in a community. The people sent into exile in Babylon really thought that their sojourn in that alien land was temporary. Remember I told you that they were living out of their suitcases. They were thinking, any day now we'll be heading home. We're the good guys. The guys in Jerusalem right now, they're the bad guys. God's going to rescue. He's going to cleanse the land. We'll be back, and things will be back to normal. And it was a false hope. Turn to Jeremiah 29. Just flip over, uh, scroll over, whatever you do with your Bible. So, there's this debate going on, and so Jeremiah writes a letter to the exiles from Jerusalem. And, you know, uh, Jeremiah obviously was a fan of the exiles. He wasn't condemning them. And so he writes a letter to them, and he says, Hey, guess what, guys? Thus saith the Lord, you're going to be here 70 years. You know what that meant? Most of the people who got Jeremiah's letter would not live to see the return to Jerusalem. And so in Jeremiah 25, look at verse 4. He gave them some hard news. And let me get to chapter 29 here. Verse 4. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Make, take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. 
So get to work. You're in exile. Don't treat this world like it's just a temporary place. Get married. Grow a family. Let your sojourn in this foreign land be beneficial to those who live there. Seek the welfare of the city. Yes, they are idolaters under God's judgment, but remember, he does not delight in their death. Seek their benefit. Invite them to join you in finding life and grace through the gospel. Just don't bow down to their idols, which is what you got, sent, got you sent into exile in the first place. This is so simple. <laughs> I think a lot of times in the context of the messages that I'm bringing to you, there comes this call for doing some radical exploit for God. And I think the word of the Lord to us is, grow up, get educated, get a job, get married, buy a house, have kids, prepare them to get married, take care of your neighbors, watch out for those around you. That's how you live in exile. Now that doesn't take away that anything. Some of us are called to go to a foreign land to bring the gospel. Ed and Robin O'Mara, Nancy and I were just with them. They're doing that. That's wonderful, but that's not the vast majority of us. And I look around this room and guess what? We're already doing it. I think we've got to think deeply about some of the things we're doing. I do think we are influenced by some of the idolatries of our day, but we're already giving ourselves to that. Do you realize that the family in the United States of America as an institution is collapsing? In 2015, the Supreme Court basically defined marriage out of existence. And so what you're doing is radical and beautiful, and good. You know, I, I just observe, I, sometimes you'll find me, maybe you think he's just old man pottering around, but I'll just stand in the crowd and just look at everybody. And I was doing that this weekend, I was doing that last night, and I, I see your children living in harmony with one another and other children here. I see young and old all relating together. And I just think, this is amazing. I, I don't know of many places you can go and have the kind of experience that we're having here. This is our calling. It's so simple, yet so radical. One of the idols of our age promises each of us that if we can build a good life, we can build a good life around our desires. I was talking to Corey about this last night. He was saying in his school, that's like a big message. Be yourself. Find yourself. Find out who you are. Go for it. That's the command. Decide who you are and live that way. That's the mantra of that old chameleon Madonna and scores of entertainers who followed her in her footsteps. The call to invent yourself drives you away from the call to marry and have families. Or if you do marry, 
and you're not able to invent yourself the way you want to because your spouse is keeping you from it, well, let's go on to another relationship. Mammon says that the only way to achieve your dreams is to get educated in its best schools and then serve in its top businesses. Put all your focus there so you can rise to the level of buying what you want and claw your way to happiness. Mammon draws you away from loving your spouse and raising children. But we are not of that religion. We seek to find out who God has created and called us to be. We submit to that and walk in that. So we're standing by the ancient paths and we're saying, Lord, I'm going to walk on this road. Now, how have you created me? What family have you put me in? What talents have you given me so I can walk on this path that you have laid out before me and chosen for me so I can please you? Embedded in our very created nature is the calling to marry and bear children. It's really basic, but now we have to say it. When I begin premarital counseling, often I, one of the early questions I ask is, what is the purpose of sex? And p- people look at me like, you know, is this a trick question? No, it's not a trick question. And the answer is the purpose of sex is to make babies. Okay, now there's all kinds of fringe benefits, but that's what it's there for. That's a good thing. It's a beautiful thing, but we have, to, we have to step back and say, wait a minute, what, what's, what's the path here that the Lord has laid down for me? Now, not all marry, and not all who marry can bear children, but this is the way of the creation God made. And even if you cannot marry, you still have a household and a family in the people of God, which Jesus says is actually primary before your natural family. Your contribution to the household of God is as valuable as anyone's. When you're living as an exile, you can think, why do anything permanent? Life is hard enough here as an exile. I'm going to wait till things get better to settle down, marry, buy a house, and have babies. There was a... I cut this out of the message, but I'm going to put it back in. <laughs> there was this guy, his name is uh, Charles Pegui. He was, a, he was a strange fellow, a very talented poet, and respected and recognized by all the top literary people of 120 years ago. He was a socialist, a Roman Catholic, and a mystic. But what's significant about something that he said as he's trying to find a way to transform society into this socialist paradise along Roman Catholic, he said this. This is a quote from Herbert Schlossberg in a book that he wrote. He said, the true revolutionaries of the 20th century will be fathers of Christian families. So you want to be a revolutionary? Guys, you want to really make an impact in this life, really go for it in life? 
grow up so that you can marry and support a family, and you become a revolutionary. And I don't say that like that's hyperbole. That's for real. So the Lord calls most of us exiles to settle down into a house where you can build a household, a family, a place where you can show hospitality to the weak and the distraught and the lonely, a place where you can have children, educate them, not just in school, teach them what you believe, live it out before them, let love characterize your home. And when you do that, your home takes on the aura of heaven. And it's very important, and this is leading to my next point, but I'm not there yet, but when you buy a house, when you marry, when you have a baby, when you have a birthday, when your children get married, it's very important to celebrate. It's important to mark moments and remember the goodness of God and reflect on things. Birthday parties are wonderful. Thank God you're in the world for eight years now. Looking forward to the next 80. Well, when you're eight, we're going to have a birthday party. I think we're to be a people who enjoy good food. People who love to tell stories. People who love to sing together, laugh together, play games together. Now, you may think this... This little family church retreat, you may think, well, it's really two things. We have fun together, and then we have these meetings. No, they're all of a piece. See, we're a people who worship, and we're a people who play. We're a people who study and listen and pray, and a people who get together and laugh and make s'mores. It's all of a piece. It's all good. And we are called to take care of the community where we live. So we're to watch out for our neighbors. Seek the welfare of the city where you live. Serve your neighbors in their need. Practice hospitality. Tell them about the hope you have in Jesus. Pray for your political rulers. This is, this is how exiles live. It sounds really good to me. It doesn't sound to me like I have to attain to some goal of wealth or status or acclaim or somehow impress someone in the news media who is going to then broadcast my greatness. None of that's necessary. I may not live to see the ingathering of all of God's people into a restored creation that may come after my death, but I want to build a family and a church that will live in love and joy as long as I have breath in my lungs because this is how we live in exile. I think that families and local Churches are the two institutions that will allow us to live in joy and happiness in this age. And we need to keep our eyes on both. And we need to work toward the success of both.
We live by turning from the idols of our age and then giving ourselves to all the created goodness God has bestowed on us. So, look for the old paths and walk in them. Build households in a community. And then number three, and I've already alluded to this, four verbs, rejoice, give thanks, enjoy, and laugh. We live in a time of rapid change. The rot is moving through our civilization. The sense I have is that the curtain is falling and the light's dimming as God in his patience and mercy gives us last opportunities to repent. And I thank him that he continues to give us this opportunity. He takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. We're exiles and sojourners in Babylon, waiting for our king, appealing to those around us to submit to him and find life. I think we should be more focused on the old paths and the communities and families God's given us and not be so immersed in what the news media, news media, by the way, is driven by a God called Mammon. We get our heads so in that It can be so depressing, so anxiety-producing, so scary that we just walk around like the Lord's not coming back, like His judgments are no good, like the gospel isn't true anymore. So I want to tell you a story to illustrate this. I have been reading The Lord of the Rings with my grandson, Caleb. It's one of the highlights of my week when the two of us get together to talk about what we have just read. Last week, we came to the chapter where the final battle for the one city in Middle Earth, the one city that can resist the forces of evil, and the armies are preparing for a huge siege of the city. And the ruler who should be leading the battle, Gandalf and Pippin have discovered, has an attitude of despair and defeat. He's given up. As Pippin and Gandalf return to their room and look out the window onto a field that in 24 hours will be a field of slaughter, Pippin notices something about the wizard. I think this captures something really interesting. And what's interesting is that Tolkien describes this but never explains what's behind it. This is what Tolkien describes, what Pippin saw. Let me quote. Yet, in the wizard's face, Pippin saw, at first, only lines of care and sorrow. Though, as he looked more intently he perceived that under all, there was a great joy, a fountain of mirth, enough to set a kingdom laughing were it to gush forth. Though Tolkien didn't say it explicitly, Gandalf's mirth is rooted in hope. So he's looking out 
on what is going to be a field of death. And he's realizing if the city falls, Middle Earth will be absolutely controlled by the forces of evil. And he's full of care. He's worried. There's sorrow. But underneath it all is this joy, even mirth. See, Gandalf knew, and obviously Gandalf's a fictional character. Okay, I get that. Sometimes I forget, but actually he, somebody made him up. Gandalf knew, and we know, that eventually good triumphs over evil. That in the end, light drives out the darkness. And so finding uh, and walking on Old Hope Road may be difficult at times, even brutal at times. In the end, that road ends in peace and justice and glory. Because there we will see the face of Jesus. Now, I've been through some bad times in my life. I've lived long enough, and all of us go through those bad times. But often, in the darkest moment, I step back and say, Okay, Lord, how are you going to work this one out? I'm really fascinated. <laughs> what are you going to do? Because I know... It's going to be good. It's going to be good. So we must learn to walk the path of joy. We must learn to fix our hope. Not on the economy, not on the climate, not on elected officials, but on the promise of what's to come. Now Peter, remember Peter wrote to these churches in the first century, that were experiencing persecution. Life was hard for them. And he writes to them, basically encouraging them to have Gandalf's attitude. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded. Okay? you got to get ready. It's coming. Be sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So, okay, you know, I mean, I, I talk to different ones of you, and in your, in your uh, various lines of work, in your extended families, there's lots of evidence that things are kind of really declining. Well, let's be ready for action. Let's be ready to share the hope that dwells within us. But we've got to fix our mind on that hope. We know how this ends. And it's good. It's all good. Nehemiah was called to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. The city was defenseless. There was a temple in it, but no walls, which is basically they had no way to defend themselves militarily against attackers. And so he's trying to exhort the residents of Jerusalem who are under this tremendous pressure to build a wall and be prepared for an attack at any time. Shovel in one hand, sword in another. Nehemiah tells them, here's what's going to motivate you. Here's what's going to give you the ability to move forward and do what God's called you to do. The joy of the Lord will be your strength. So we've got to cultivate joy. 
And we cultivate that by setting our minds on the hope that will be brought, the grace that will be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus. We've got to set our minds on the fact that it might look bad now, but it's not going to stay that way. He's going to work it out. So we need to... We need to learn to live as exiles in a world increasingly strange to us. Let us live in all the goodness of God set before us, knowing how this ends. Let the joy of the Lord, the joy launched by all his promises, be our strength and our defining characteristic. That's it. Now, are there other things we could say? Are there things we could add about the Christian life? Absolutely. But I think when it comes to finding life, this is where we need to go. And I think we need to examine then, are the things that I give myself to, and I think there's a host of topics. I would love to get together with you, those of you who'd be interested, and, to, and just talk through some of these topics. Let's talk about the education of children and what that really means and what's really necessary. And what I'm not talking about schooling right now. I'm talking about education, how to be equipped to live, to marry and buy a house and plant a garden and have babies. There are topics we need to talk about. Our entertainments, we ought to think about them, the entertainments that our children our use of, of uh, screen-based media. thing we should probably talk about, think about. How we think about career and earning money and spending money. These are all things that we need wisdom from because the idols of our day have all taken all these things and made promises about them. They're all lies, but we gotta, we got to stand by the by the roads and, and look, where, where's the ancient path in all this? And so I would urge you to get on that road. Call it Hope Road. So let me summarize, and then we're done. We are under God's judgment in our homeland in America. But God's judgments are good. They set right what's been wrong. We are comforted by the fact that God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. And this is why we sometimes wonder why he is slow in his judgments. He invites us all to repent and to trust him. Those who repent become exiles in their own homeland. That's a reality. We cannot learn to live from the idols of our age. We must search out the old paths found in Scripture and walked out in earlier ages. Okay, people in past ages have figured this out. While we await the return of our king, we must take jobs, buy homes, marry, raise children, prepare them to marry. That's the business we're about. It's not a distraction from your life. It is your life. And if it doesn't consume your life, find somebody that it does and offer to help. <laughs> and we must build another household. 
the household of God here in Grace Church. And along the way, we must rejoice in hope, give thanks in all things, enjoy the good gifts God has given us, and celebrate. That's how we should then live. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that though we may never have seen these things in these exact portions of your word, we have sought to live in them. And now you're explaining more to us of how to think about these things and live our lives. Thank you that Grace Church is an authentic church built on people who have repented of their sins and put faith in Jesus. Thank you for the blessing of marriage and children and grandchildren. We pray, Lord, that together as elect exiles, we would learn to walk the old paths And what we're told is the newest and most exciting and progressive society ever, but we see is crumbling from within. I pray, Lord, that we, our lives, each of us, our lives, and all of us collectively, our families would be characterized by joy and laughter. That though there are many cares and sorrows in our lives, we know how you're going to bring an end to all this. And so in hope, we can have laughter and mirth. Even though we don't know how, we expect it. And we know, based on what you've done in Jesus Christ and sending him into this world to live for us, to die for us, and to rise for us, if that's how you started, we can only imagine how good it's going to be. And so we ask that you would teach us how to live according to what you've shown us in Scripture. In Jesus' name, we make this request. Amen.